People love to collect all kinds of items, everything from artwork to antiques to whatever strikes their fancy, but especially to automobiles. Car collectors are some of the most passionate and fanatic collectors there are. But the car collecting world can be capricious, where a red-hot classic today can plunge in value tomorrow, or vice versa. So if you're interested in collecting a car or cars, what should you be on the lookout for? Or should you avoid it altogether? Well, we're going to get to the bottom of that today because joining me on the show are McKeel Haggerty, the CEO of Haggerty Insurance, a company that specializes in insuring classic cars, and with Ken Lingenfelter, the CEO of Lingenfelter Performance Engineering, who has a large collection of his own. And we'll be getting to the bottom of this car collecting business right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Thank you for joining us here in the studio with Ken Lingenfilter and McKeel Haggerty. And let's get into talking all about collecting cars. You've right. got quite a collection yourself, Ken. T tell us a little bit about your collection. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it kind of shows the passion I have for automobiles. But uh, it's about 30% muscle cars and about 30% exotic cars and about 40% Corvettes and just Lingenfelder performance products. So. Your own modified vehicle. Our own modified vehicle. So yeah. for those who don't know, what's the difference between a muscle car and an exotic? Well, the muscle cars were typically from the late 60s through the early 70s, and that's the time when there weren't uh, any real restraints on horsepower. So uh, General Motors, Ford really kind of went all out, Mopar also. Uh, great cars, lots of fun to drive, four speeds uh, mostly in the collection. Uh, the exotic cars are foreign cars, Ferrari, Lamborghini, uh, Porsche, uh, more refined cars. Uh, some of the, I have some of the older cars, some of the newer cars also. Uh, and then, as I said, Corvettes have always been a passion. I, I think the 63 split window Corvette did it for me. Uh, I was 10 years old at the time, and uh, that put me over the edge when it came to cars. So, Still a beautiful car today. Oh, it's gorgeous. I love them. Mikhail, you deal with people who've got all different kinds of collections, too. Uh, Ken mentioned uh, uh, muscle cars and exotics. What else is out there that folks can, can collect? Well, I mean, the car collecting hobby has been, uh, you know, going on for almost 75 years. I mean, people, uh, you know, even earlier than you'd expect were collecting and, and trying to maintain some of the very earliest cars that were ever on public roadways. And so when I think of the car world, I, I think of it as all of these different little interest areas, all of these, uh, you know, almost hobbies within the hobby. I mean, there are people who are into race cars. There are people into steam-powered cars. There are, of course, the muscle car uh, the muscle car sort of craze that uh, you know Ken is mentioning, that's really been driving a huge amount of interest in the in the vintage car world. Uh, you know, it's been driving all of the great uh, you know attention through auctions, and you know you can hardly open a magazine, you know even just a financial magazine, if you don't see an ad with you know somebody driving a you know some sort of vintage car in it. It's sort of a sign of our success. It's a sign of our culture. It's a it's an interesting place to be. Does it make sense to invest in cars, or should anybody look at buying uh, a classic or an exotic or a muscle car as an investment? Well, I, I always say that you should never uh, spend any money on a car that you can't afford to lose. You know, it shouldn't be the money that, you know, it was going to be your kid's college education or your retirement. It should be some money that you can afford. But that being said, over time, 
you know, investments that are made in vintage cars typically have paid off very well. In fact, uh, you know, we have a number of indices that we sort of track around the car world and other than gold recently. Uh, collector cars have done very well from an investment standpoint. Very interesting. Well, Ken, you, you've got a collection. Does, uh, does it, <laughs> it, is that why you put your collection together? Is this more just your own passion? You know, it's more my own passion. I, you know, the fact is everything McHale says is true. Uh, and I've been the beneficiary on a few cars that I've bought, but I've also bought a few that I probably shouldn't have and uh, <laughs> tried to sell them and didn't really do all that well on them. So I think anybody looking to uh, get into the collector car uh, hobby should really be thinking about um, the fact that they better be willing to not see a return on them. Um, the fact is that if you do, it's gravy. That's the way I look at it. Uh, I have a blast with it. It's uh, it's so much fun along the way that you know rather than buy a CD, I'd much rather have uh, that money in a car that I can enjoy and go out and get in and drive around and such. Um, you know, we've had highs and lows in it too. I, you know, some years ago the collector car market was just as hot as it could be. There were people purchasing a Hemi Cudas for millions of dollars or a couple of million dollars. You probably lost their shirt on Oh, that, I'm sure. Right? You know, you play musical chairs. The guy who gets the last one is the <laughs> guy who gets stuck. Uh, thank goodness I didn't go over the edge uh, on that one. But uh, but there's been a few times I'll take guys with me uh, that work with me at uh, at the performance company, and they'll watch me up on stage buying a car or whatever. And, I always tease them the fact that they should have some duct tape and some rope to tie me to the chair in some of these cars that I've bought because I, I have made a mistake or two along the way. There's no question about it. So, McKeel, what is it that drives up the price of cars in, in a given era and then it's worth nothing you know, a few years later or another decade later? Well, there, there have been cases of these sort of bubbles. There was a, there was a bubble they talked about in the late 80s with uh, people buying up uh, particularly kind of European exotic cars. And, and there was a lot of people who were speculating. There were people who didn't know the cars, they didn't know what they were buying, and they were sort of overpaying because they just thought that they could turn, over, turn them around and, and you know, make a big profit. Same thing happened a couple of years ago. The, the the, the real boom in the collector car market, sort of 2006, 2007, it definitely, it didn't come tumbling down when the real estate market tumbled, but it, it certainly slowed dramatically. And so what makes an, an era interesting? I mean, there's the old saying, you know, it's the car you wanted when you're in high school. I'm not so sure if that's always exactly the case. I just think that, you know, you start seeing images of them on television, you see images in magazines. People get fascinated with an era and they suddenly they're cool. I mean, 20 years ago, serious collectors who collect serious cars would have never bought a muscle car. To them, a muscle car was like a barbaric, you know, production car. Yeah, it was a production Detroit car. I can't tell you the number of those guys who now have a, you know, garages full of muscle cars right next to their Ferraris, next to their Jaguars. It, they just became cool and, and they became good to look at. And I think you just see those trends. And yes, now and then they come tumbling down, but it wasn't, it wasn't a real tumble. I mean, it, there was a correction and we're already seeing it, you know, even just a couple years after the recession, they're returning pretty nicely, but not million dollar Hemi Kudas. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Ken, what is it that leads you to want to put a car in your collection? You know, I've always collected cars that I just really like. I mean, if you go through the car collection, obviously there's a lot of Corvettes there, but in General Motors products, I guess, is probably where I leaned. My dad was a GM guy, so that's probably, you know, why I got that way. You were either, when I was growing up, a Ford guy or a GM guy or a Chrysler guy, and, you know, I happened to grow up in a GM family. So, but the fact is, they're cars that I liked over the years. Um, again, I haven't looked at buying a specific car to, to get a, as an investment, but I try to buy the best car I can get. 
And that's, uh, that's proved to be a good way to go. Um, you know, we try to get numbers matching cars when I'm looking at things and, and try to get, uh, you know, the best one uh, that, that's out there. Um, but, you know, for the most part, as I said, it's cars I like, cars I can go out and look at and enjoy, cars I can share with uh, at events and things that we do uh, at, the, uh, at the collection. So uh, that's what drives me. Um, I'm I mean, you very say you're, passionate. You say you're a GM guy, but you've got a lot of European exotics in I your do. collection, too. I do. I, you know, the fact is the difference in the cars and the way they drive and the way they handle. I, I can't tell you the number of times people have been through the collection and they've said, what's your favorite? You know, what do you enjoy the most? What do you drive? I can't answer that question because each one of the cars has got its own unique personality and the way it drives and handles. And I will tell you this, those old muscle cars are really great to look at, and they're kind of fun to get out in and drive a little bit. But... Cars are so good today with the uh, handling and the suspension and the tires that you get an old uh, 70 Chevelle with bias ply tires and uh, spend a little time smelling the gasoline and trying to keep it in the lane because of those tires, uh, you will really go back to the new car real quickly. <laughs> I so. know. Anytime anyone's told me, you know, they don't build them like they used to, I say, and thank, thank goodness, goodness they don't. Yeah, yeah because exactly today's right. cars are so much better. Nikhil, what about at the low end? I mean, we've been talking about muscle cars and million-dollar exotics and the like. What, can people get into this collection and not have to spend a whole lot of money and yet still have something pretty good? Absolutely. I mean, contrary to what everybody talks about with world records and all the money that people spend on, on vintage cars, there are so many great cars that you can buy for not a lot of money and have a lot of fun with it. You know, whether your interests are... European sports cars. You may may not be buying a Ferrari. Maybe it's an MG or an Austin Healey, or you know, even certain eras of of Porsche 911s. Um, on, and even with muscle cars, not all of them are you know big blocks or the ultimate in you know rarity when it comes to muscle cars. There are a lot of cars from that era. If you like them, that they were the smaller engines or even some of the six-cylinder cars. You know. <laughs> You know, heaven forbid, some of the purists would say, but that the cars still look great, and you can have a lot of fun with them. Uh, you know, if I ever have any advice for somebody getting into it is, unless, you know, you really, really know what you're doing or you want to do a lot of work yourself, the best kind of, you know, entry-level car you can buy is one that has been well used, where someone else has put some money and time and effort in it, and it's had regular signs of use. You know, a car that's sat for 30 years is going to be a car with a lot of problems, most likely. But, you know, if it's a car that someone just loved and they're willing to part with it at a price that you can afford, you can buy so much fun. And, you know, yeah, you may not make a ton on it if you turn around and sell it a few years later, but you'll get a lot of smiles. Ken, i got to believe that maintaining a collection is a, a full-time job uh, oh, yeah. for somebody that oh, you've yeah. got doing just that. You know, we've got 190 cars in the collection right now, which is way overboard. I promised myself. <laughs> I mean, I've got 40,000 square feet. At least you're feet. honest about well, it. <laughs> you know, I, you, you just got to be. But I've got 40,000 square feet straight back. And I, when I built the building, I thought, you know, I'll never have to move a car to get another car out to drive. And that went away a long time ago. But, yeah, maintenance is a challenge. And, uh, you know, we've got more battery tenders, I think, than just about anybody out there. Uh, you know, we do get out. We make the, run the cars for a while and get them out and enjoy them a little bit on the road just to keep them moving and keep the, keep the uh, gasket sealed and such. But um, the fact is uh, it's a full-time job, and I've got a couple people that take care of the car collection as their full-time job every day. So. Parts, getting parts for these cars, is that an issue? I haven't had too much trouble there unless we're trying to get a car uh, to restore. But, you know, McKill made a good point. You should just try to buy the best car you can find because restoring cars 
is, uh, is a pretty expensive thing to do. When you've got the car apart, it's never a better time to replace this or replace that. Uh, and the fact is, it adds up real fast. Obviously, you'll have a great car when it's all said and done, but mostly you'll end up putting about twice more into it than you, you had intended. So buy a really good car, the best one you can find. I think Kim makes a great point. It seems to me that anybody who spends all the time and money restoring a car never get that money back. It's the person who buys it at auction or buys it off that individual that tends to get the killer deal. Isn't that the case? Oh, that's right. I mean, buying a car that was restored a few years ago is often, you know, the best way to go because that person probably went through all those decisions. They replaced everything. They did a lot of the work. Uh, so you get the benefit of that and probably for not all the money. Uh, but there's another trend that's happening out there right now that I think is kind of exciting, and that is in sort of preservation class cars, cars that are unrestored. And they're absolutely not as shiny and perfect as a lot of these gleaming, you know, new restorations. And they, they show signs of wear. The seats might be cracked. There's, you know, crack in the cracks in the paint. But the, it's kind of a new aesthetic. It's an aesthetic that the Europeans love. You know, Europeans, they hate restored cars generally. They love cars with a little bit of wear. And Americans are starting to buy into that. And it's, there's some great opportunities for, um, you know, an American collector who wants to get in at, a, at a, an affordable level. You can buy a car and don't restore it. Just maintain it. Make it run. Get out there and enjoy it. It will never be, you know, it, it's original. It, it, and it has all those great signs of wear. You don't have to go restore it to show condition. Isn't that like uh, vintage furniture, too? You know, if you restored it, you just destroyed the value. You need that patina of history to show how authentic a it is. A car can only be original once. And it's not for everyone, but it's definitely sort of a new avenue of collecting. Of You know, you take a car that may not have been the top-end car from the 60s or 70s even and just use it enjoy it you know if unless it's absolutely trashed and it needs to be restored even lightly it, you can have a great time and just as you would in a in a freshly restored car and you won't have all that money in it what, what's your thought on that I, I think that's great advice uh, the fact is that you do need to use it and enjoy it i mean that's the thing that makes the difference if you don't get the kind of return on the car that you might you thought you might at least you've had that time to get out and enjoy it drive it around um I drive a lot of my cars. A lot of people don't understand that, and they look at them, don't. Why are you taking that out? Why would you do that? But I, I look at it the other way. I want to enjoy it. I want people to enjoy it. I want to share it with others, and uh, it makes the hobby even that much more fun. Well, I'm with you guys on that, but tell me if I've done the right thing here or the wrong thing. I've got an old Citroen DS, 1968, but it's got electronic ignition because if you you leave the old points in there. It can be a real bear to get that thing started on a cold morning, whereas with the electronic ignition, it fires right up. But it's not original. Have I hurt the value I'm, of the car? I'm a huge fan of electronic ignitions. You know, some of the weakest points in, in all vintage cars were their electrical systems. And if you're not somebody that has, you know, full-time mechanical help to make sure that the, you know, ignition systems and everything are up to snuff, I mean, putting a set of points in there and you can hide, you know, so many things in cars these days, you turn the key, it starts. You don't, you know, you don't get left at the restaurant when you take it out for dinner. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that because you can always remove those parts if somebody is a real purist and, and they don't want those on there. I'm, I'm a big fan. In fact, uh, I met a guy once uh, and got to drive his uh, 1903 Curve Dash Oldsmobile, and he had modified the, the back brake uh, shoes because they, I think if I remember right, they were just brass on brass. 
and didn't do a whole good job of slowing this car down, even though it didn't go that fast. Yeah. So he had put in, you know, much more modern, I don't know if it was asbestos or what, but better brake linings because even though this was a really cool car, he didn't want to see it smashed up. He wanted it to have better brakes. If there's a single part of technology in cars, and as Ken was mentioning earlier, it's, it's really braking has, has what's made the disparity between vintage cars and new cars so different on public roadways. I mean, I, unfortunately, I know this because I'm in the insurance business and we insure about 700,000 classic cars in the U.S. But, you know, uh, look, a 67 Shelby went really fast. It didn't stop super well. And, or you know, straight. Or super straight. <laughs> and so, you know, not, you know, back then they knew how to put a lot of power in a car. They did not create the same kind of handling environment and certainly not, they weren't quite as safe. So, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a fan of those, in those cases like you describe, of, you know, appropriate safety upgrades when necessary. You know, maybe you don't want to take the drum brakes out and put discs on. You just need to be mindful if you are driving a car that, you know, doesn't stop super fast. You have to give yourself room. You mentioned uh, this non-restored look that's going on. What, what's hot right now? What, what, what's hot that somebody that might be interested at an entry price level could get into? And then let, let's walk up the scale a little bit. But at the low end, is there anything that would be uh, advice that you could give to people that said, oh, th th this is the next hot thing brewing? Well, I mean, at the entry level, there's there's no doubt, like I said, unrestored cars just in general, because you can often find them for a little bit less. You're not going to pour all the money into the restoration. Um, also at the entry level is pickup trucks. Pickup trucks are in a lot of parts of the country. Um, it's the primary vehicle that everybody drives. They don't own cars. And you can still buy great vintage pickup trucks. The parts are all available. They're easy to work on, you know, they're great starter collector vehicles. You know, it's, you're right, it's not a car, but I think a lot of 50s era pickup trucks look awesome. A lot of I character they, to that. Yeah, they're really hot right now, too. They really are. To watch those cars go at auction, and a lot of guys have done some pretty great things to them. So. Do you have any pickups in uh, your collection? I do, actually. Uh, just a couple, but uh, we actually built a, uh, uh, a pickup, a 55 Chevy, and put one of General Motors E-Rod engines in it, and uh, so it's kind of like a old car, but it's got the new drivetrain. Uh, it's, it's sitting on a uh, Trailblazer SS uh, a <laughs> chassis, and, uh, but it's got the old look to it, and it gets a lot of attention. We're seeing a lot of that, you know, of taking vintage cars and putting in uh, modern-day, not just powertrain, but suspension componentry and the like. And conversely, uh, I'm starting to see more rat rods, cars that are pretty quick, but deliberately made to look pretty ratty. Yeah. What's with that? What's going on there? Uh, I, I, that's a group I haven't been able to catch on to yet. <laughs> I, I love looking at them. I love watching them. I don't own any of them. I don't think I will. But uh, the fact is they're getting a lot, having a lot of fun getting a big kick out of what they're doing. And that, that shows they're passionate about that. And so I'm all for it. I just don't think I'm going to own one. Uh, Mikhail, what do you make of this whole rat rod move? Well, I get, I'm, I'm with Ken. I, you know, I'm not, I've never really tapped into that market. It's, it's definitely a whole, it has a whole lifestyle that goes with it. It that, really you does. Know, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure I, you know, fit right in. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you, the ones that I've seen, sometimes they show incredible mechanical acumen to put some of these things together. I mean, how they even seem to run, it's unbelievable. Um, so I, I appreciate them, but I appreciate them from a distance. You know, same thing with that kind of resto mod or the, the resto rod sort of class where you take, a, you know, a finished car and you put modern, you know, running gear in it. You know, look, it's it's your car. You get to do what you want with it. And very often, if you didn't have the benefit of a numbers-matching perfect vehicle to begin with, making those kind of, you know, changes to it, it makes it your own. 
and it's going to make it very drivable in the end. It's a, it's a very popular part of the segment. Sometimes the cars don't sell quite as well if you put them up for public sale, but that's okay. If you enjoy it and you get it and it fits your passion, it's fantastic. I'll tell you, another segment of the market that I think is, is kind of coming on is that despite the fact that for years everybody said, no, the collector car era ended in 1972 with you know, gas prices and the death of the muscle cars, 70s cars are kind of hot right now. There, there's some that are, you know, have sort of weird followings like gremlins and pacers, but you know, even some of the kind of wedge-shaped exotics, you know, not, they were pretty limited in production. They weren't always super mechanically reliable, but they have some really interesting followings, and uh, people kind of like that stuff. And or even the '78 Trans Am. Who doesn't want to pretend they're Burt Reynolds? Yeah, sure. And, exactly. In fact, Ken will build one for you, <laughs> even on a modern <laughs> yes. Camaro, to have I that. I will. I will. But well, is it because people who were kids in that era uh, in the '70s, you know, grew up with that around them, or they saw it on TV or in magazines, and all of a sudden that's what they want? What, what is it that drives people to want cars of a given era? Well, I, again, it's it's interesting. Is that the car you grew up with? I mean, that those would be the cars I grew up with. I was born in '67, so um, you know, the cars that I saw on the on the roads in the '70s weren't often some of the greatest cars that ever came out of Detroit or anywhere else. But so my interest was I was in older cars personally, but I, I think sometimes with 70s cars, it's almost more about the 70s than it is about the cars in many cases. Yeah, Especially, you know, some of these guys who, you know, and it's not it's whether it's the disco era, the funky interiors in the cars, they have a sort of kitschy, cool quality to them, and they just they like it. It's just an era they like, and I will never argue with anybody who's into an era of car or a type of car that may not be my interest. It's theirs, mm -hmm. and they get to own it, and they get to enjoy it, and I'll you know give them the thumbs up. Is there a danger, though, Ken, that, you know, a, a couple of decades down, that interest in a given era car drops and the value goes down in sure, it? Sure, sure. I, I think that's there. But again, the fact is, you know, you're buying to enjoy what you're, the car you're getting. I, eBay is in just trouble for me. I mean, I get on there, I, <laughs> it's unbelievable what I'll see. And, you know, I, I just bought a, a, an 80s Can uh, Am Pontiac. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, a Grand Am Pontiac, a '74 Grand Am Pontiac that I just saw, love it. Uh, 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 the old Grand Prix, the some of the old Grand Prix that are out there, they're just great cars. And uh, so uh, yeah, there's risk, but again, if you have to offset it with the enjoyment that you get out of doing it. So. What do you all make of this uh, uh, investment fund that started in the UK? where they have got a board of advisors. In fact, Nick Mason, the drummer from Pink Floyd, is on their board of advisors. Apparently, he's a big-time car nut. And they're, they're going to try to use this advisory board to pick and choose good exotics that they think will go up in price. Does any of this make sense to, to, to you two as an investment fund? I, I, I'm, I'm a little afraid of something like that. I, I like, in, I like uh, just doing it myself, I think. I would probably leave, let those guys uh, try it and see how it works out for them, but uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to do it the way I like to do it. So, Well, the people have been talking about that idea of an investment fund for a long time, and of course, again, you know, we've been talking about world record prices and all these things that, you know, that the public auctions tend to sort of bring attention to the car world. Wow, these things must be a great investment. An another side of it is it might not be something that I would be interested in because I'm in this world. I know what I like. I know what I buy. 
But for people who know absolutely nothing or who truly do want to just speculate in the market, frankly, I'd rather have them doing it that way than you know showing up at an auction, paying double what a car is worth, and then kind of messing up the market for a long time. Uh, because that is often what happens at these auctions. You see a $30,000 car sell for 130, and then everybody thinks that that's the market on the car. And so I'd frankly maybe keep the speculators in one of those funds. It, it, it might help us all. Okay, I'm going to put you both a little bit on the spot. Ken, is there any car out there that you're saying, oh my gosh, I got to find this one day, it's got to be in my collection. Is there anything else out there that you haven't really found that you want? You know, I'm, I haven't found the exact L88 Corvette I want yet. I've been in a position to buy many of them, but I've got to have an L88. I'll find it at some point. It's going to have the right color combination. It's going to be in the right condition. And I haven't found it yet, but it's out there, and I'm going to get one. So <laughs> I promise you that. Okay. Mikhail? Well, for me, it's all about event eligibility. I like to do some of the, the different events that have year cutoffs, whether it's you know pre-1960 sports cars or even the London and Brighton run in, in the U.K. that's all pre-1905 cars. Yeah, you see, I love cars that you can buy and own to use in those events. So yeah, I'm looking for a London to Brighton car. I'm looking for one of these pre-60s cars. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed that kind of camaraderie of going out with kind of people with common interests and, and getting out there and really kind of using the cars the way they were meant to be. Well, I know it's putting you on the spot because I get asked all the time, not for vintage collector cars, as you know, what's the best car out there or what would you want to own? And it's like, well, it depends. <laughs> you know, am I going out for a nice Sunday drive? Am I heading up north with my buddies skiing? You know, what? You know, there's different cars for different purposes. I, I think you got it there perfectly. Everybody needs a going out to ice cream car. It's fun to have cars to go fast in. You know, there are just so many different things. I know with my own cars, I just, I like picking different ones depending on the day or the weather or, you know, who, uh, you know, who might be there to look at it. It's, it's just fun to do. Well, with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. But Ken Lingenfelter and McKeel Haggerty, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thank all of you for tuning in, and I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Car collectors come in all shapes and sizes. There are really rich ones and ones of modest means, those with hundreds of cars and those with one. But one thing that binds them together and sets them apart from most other types of collectors is that their collection does not sit in a cabinet or hang on a wall. They can take the object of their passion and enjoy it out on the open road. And that brings us to the end of this show. For all of us here at AutoLine, thanks for watching, and please join us again.